Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our friends at Ditch Witch. Outdoors Dan here. And did you know Bass Edge Television is on Wild TV in Canada? It is, but of course we're on the Versus Network January through June of 2008 as well. Our good friend Aaron Martin is right alongside. Aaron, looks like we're going to be talking with Terry Bolton this week, huh? Exciting show, Dan. He is going to comment not only on Clark's Hill as far as specifically, but also fishing low water conditions. Well, you know, how many times have you been inside a, a tidal area and, or even out there and you've had low water on a river? And boy, it's a challenging deal, isn't it? It is. It really is. And I, I think he does a great job of, of giving us some insight on how to uh, expand upon that. Absolutely. And then we're going to go in for a great Inside Edge segment, and we're going to have other great stuff. It's all right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son of a gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Aaron Martin along with Outdoors Dan here. And I tell you what, spring has sprung, and a lot of people are hitting the water. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about trolling motors before we get into the, the meat of the edge for this week. Uh, a lot of people are looking for new gear, Aaron. Any recommendations for them? Yeah, one thing, you know, that's a great point, Dan, because trolling motors, I don't think they get the attention and the credit that they, they deserve. But, you know, when picking out a trolling motor, obviously, first thing you want to do is if you have a, a smaller boat, do you want to go foot control uh, or transom mount? Uh, once you determine that, you know, you really want to look at the size of craft that, that you're trying to propel. I'm a firm believer. I always like to have more power than what I actually need, especially, you know, when you get into the bass boats on a, uh, you know, bow mount with a foot control I want to make sure that uh, you never know if you're going to be fishing in current, wind, and I want to make sure that I've got the, the additional pounds of thrust, you know, to last all day. And so with that, one of the things that I would encourage, obviously, is going to be overpower. Uh, make sure that you have enough uh, based upon the size of craft. The other thing is to look really, really hard at the batteries, you know, that they're using because all batteries are not created equal. We're fortunate uh, enough that we get to run those Superstart uh, AGM batteries and, uh, you know, run a 36-volt system on that to make sure that those batteries are going to last all day because the worst thing that can happen is if you're out there and you know you've taken a day of vacation and spending uh, time on the water you get in a situation to where if your batteries run out of juice you're going to have a hard time controlling and and getting to where the fish are so i would say definitely those those are going to be my two things the other thing that that goes along with that of making sure that uh you're going to maximize that time on the water is is keeping those batteries charged so um i think that's a couple good good suggestions Sure. You know, another thing I want to throw at you is trailers. You know, I don't know how many times I've been out, you know, in windy conditions trying to pull up into the ramp and stuff. And, boy, you know, guides can really help you put that uh, boat right back on the trailer. But any other uh, helpful suggestions on just getting your boat in and out of the water efficiently off your trailer or what to look for? Yeah, you know, the funny thing with, because I I know as anglers, you can hang out at a boat ramp and, and, and really get, uh, a lot of laughs <laughs> as far as what takes place at a boat ramp. But I think one of the things that, that I've, I know I've done this numerous times is we have a tendency to back the trailer in too far, too deep. 
And then what happens is, you know, you're up there on the front trying to lift the bow of the boat up to get it up over that, that roller uh, there in the front. You know, you're trying to winch it in. But, you know, really, once you find that maximum depth, use a visual to mark that on where that, that water maybe hits your fender wells, how much of your, your uh, um, bumper rails are actually showing, you know, that type of thing. Most of the trailers that are built today, you know, have those back guides. If perhaps maybe you have a, a rig uh, that uh, does not have those guides, you know, aluminum boat or something like that, you can actually go to any major sporting goods store and, and actually purchase some of those. And like you said, man, that is a really, really great way to, to not only make sure that you get your boat on there properly, but also as you're backing down the ramp. You know, a lot of those boat ramps can be fairly steep, so if you can't see your trailer, all of a sudden it drops off the side of the hill, and uh, even trying to find it in your mirrors can be difficult, whereas those, those guys that stick up a little bit, that's another great way uh, to make sure that you can back that down. But the other thing on trailers also is to make sure that you continually check uh, those bearings. Uh, we're fortunate to where we're running the, those oil baths, but even on those, those legend boats and legend trailers that we have, they have a window in there to where if, if that oil in that oil bath turns milky, you know, you need to go and check to see if, if you need to have that oil change. Likewise, you know, on the traditional buddy bearing systems, make sure that you're keeping that, that uh, those grease, uh, repack them every once in a while, get them checked because backing in and out of the water, all that corrosion and the sand and stuff like that that gets in there, boy, it can leave you stranded on the roadside somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Well, some great tips. Hey, listen, we need to run and take a break. When we come back, folks, you're going to get to hear a wonderful interview by this week's angler, Mr. Terry Bolton. We'll be right back, and then we'll talk to you after Terry right here on The Edge. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, welcome back to The Edge, and joining us today is FLW Pro Terry Bolton. Terry, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Aaron, it's great to be here. Terry, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're probably right in the thick of things with uh, tournament season now in full swing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're probably like a dog chasing his tail. You, you probably don't have to worry about what you're going to do tomorrow, do you? No, I don't. I think I've already drove uh, 10,000 miles this year. It's only March. <laughs> Isn't that unbelievable? So, well, what do you have coming up in uh, in the upcoming week? Uh, I think uh, at the end of March, I'll be at uh, at uh, Wheeler Lake for the FLW Series and then go straight to Smith Lake uh, in Bur- just north of Birmingham for the FLW Tour, and that's back-to-back weeks. Oh, my. Does that present a, a challenge when you have back-to-back events like that, you know, trying to adjust from one lake to the next and... You know, just all that time on the water? Yeah, yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. I mean, fortunately, I've been to both lakes uh, and kind of know what to expect, and, you know, I think. But, uh, you know, it, 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 the, I think the problem it presents is, you know, just being in good, you know, of course, being in good shape helps and just try not to get uh, mentally or physically fatigued over a two-week period. Yeah. Well, you, you know, Terry, we had some time and, and an opportunity uh to actually spend some time together, and that was on Clark's Hill uh, there in uh, Columbia County, Georgia. 
And, you know, two things that I want to jump right into. One is obviously go into what we had done uh, on the show, kind of break that down. The second thing I think that we need to spend some time on is, you know, the water level was very, very low uh, when we were there. But before we get into those two things, give us a rundown on what anglers can expect, you know, when they visit Clarks Hill. Well, you know, when we were there, the water was, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly how low it was, but it was real low. And, you know, the lake is just full of a million points and humps, and it's got a lot of hydrilla in it. And, you know, we started out the day, you know, power fishing with spinner baits and topwater lures, and we were able to catch a few on that. Um, and that's really how I expected to catch them, but it didn't work so good. So, you know, ended up, we ended up catching, uh, I believe a couple on a fluke and ended up catching most of our fish uh, deeper, you know, 20 to 25 foot deep, I believe, on drop shot and a finesse worm. Right. You know, and, and going back to what you said right off the beginning is that uh, the the interesting thing about this lake is that neither you nor I had actually launched a boat on that lake prior to prior to that day. How does that change on how you approach a body of water when you haven't been on that lake before? Well, you know, a lot of times if I haven't been on a lake, I mean, I'll do just kind of like what we did during the show, and that's just pick out one major creek and just stay there and fish in that creek all day and try to get a few bites. And a lot of times that'll that'll give you a clue as to what you can do throughout the rest of the lake, you know. I mean, you can take that information you learned in that creek and go to the next one and the next one. And, you know, sometimes it'll change a little bit, but a lot of times that'll give you a good starting point. You know, and, and one of those uh, anticipations, I think, we thought that, that schooling fish would come into play, you know, because obviously Clarks Hill, you, you hear so much about, uh, you know, those blueback herring and, and what those bass are doing in relation to those. And really, that was one of the things that, that never transpired. Yeah, I w- that really surprised me, too. I mean, that's all I'd heard, you know, and that's all I expected to do. And, you know, we were able to catch a few and get a few bites doing it. But, you know, we, de- we dealt with a lot of changing conditions during the day. I think it was sunny, it was cloudy, it was rainy, it was windy. It was, <laughs> you know, we, we went through every condition that you can imagine during the day. And, and, you know, and I think that just goes to show you this, you know, this last year, the drought that we suffered through the, you know, the south, uh, you know, it really changed a lot of fishing. A lot of the normal things that usually work didn't work so good. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's one thing that, you know, you you know, sometimes you get kind of get set in your ways and you got to be willing to change. And yeah. even as a local angler, you have to do that. Well, and, and speaking of change, you know, I, I think half of our uh, storage was, was full of clothes because I think we ended up doing about four different apparel changes from the rain gear to coats and everything like that. And so it was an interesting day. But, you know, you, you spoke earlier about being mentally and physically prepared. And, and one of the things that I remember was right off the bat um, was, you know, the very first spot we started, I think on the very first cast, you know, I picked up that true track spinnerbait and, and threw it up against the bank and uh, lost that fish, you know, and it, it just, that was a lesson and kind of really set the stage for the rest of the day about never know what you can expect, uh, and you better be ready when you make that cast. Yeah, that's right. You know, a lot of times in the fall, you know, a lot of times you don't get a lot of bites sometimes, you know, and you got to be, be sure you land those, you know, and, you know, like I said, right off the bat, we just got out there and we're just kind of getting our bearings about where we were at, and, you know, you probably had the biggest bite we had <laughs> in the first, you know, couple casts of that morning, and, you know, and it come off, you know, yeah. so, you know, that's, you know, and I, but that, that kind of gave me a lot of hope as to that was the right thing to do, but, it, it you know, in the end, it was kind of, you know, the fish kind of lied to us a little bit. Sure. You know, and, and making that transition, once we realized that, it, you know, even though we had some response on the spinnerbait slash topwater, more of the reaction-type bite, 
you know, ultimately what we ended up doing was heading to that deeper bite like you spoke about, you know, the drop shot, the jig head worm, and then actually even a fluke, more of a subtle type presentation. Um, why was that so key that day for what we were fishing with the changing weather? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it had something to do with the front and it just didn't have the fish in a very aggressive mood and they just really weren't coming up or looking up or wanting to feed in that manner. It seemed, you know, the fish were kind of more down on the bottom and, you know, Clark Hill's got a lot of uh, blueback herring in it. And, you know, bluebacks uh, are a little, little different from other bait fish and they have a tendency to stay deeper a lot of times. You know, they'll get shallow, but they, you know, they kind of do a lot of roaming and a lot of ranging. And for some reason that day, you know, I don't know if it was the change in the conditions. I've seen it before. A lot of times on a cloudier day, the fish will get deeper, and sunny day, they'll they'll get shallower. It'll be a lot of times the opposite of what you expect. But for some reason that day, we did a lot better fishing deeper. Uh, got a lot more bites. Of course, a lot of them weren't giant fish, but we caught a lot of bass. Sure, sure. And you know, I I think that's that that was important. Uh, is is realizing that you know, kind of when the end of the day, and and we went back and and looked at at how the day progressed we were just hoping to get get bites and obviously right. put fish in the boat and and it was almost like that had we had more time to be able to develop or tweak that pattern i really think we were on the verge of of being able to really start uncovering uh, a a consistent pattern to where we could have taken that throughout the lake and probably upgraded it and you know done some different things like that yeah that's right i i think though any time when you're fishing deeper or offshore any type of structure fishing deeper you know, you can't always cover just a lot of water real quick. Right. So it takes time to find those places and to and to learn them and to make the right cast. And, you know, so I, I think you're right. Had we had a lot of time, could we have done more with it? Yeah, I believe we could have. But, you know, but in shooting a show, a lot of times you don't have that, uh, you don't have that comfort. Sure. Well, and, and the other thing that I remember is you, you're talking about taking the time to find the fish. It took us a while to actually find uh, those couple places where we, we where we did uh, find the concentrations, but if you remember uh, when we actually went to those areas, it they held a lot of fish. I mean, we've got several bites out of smaller areas. Can you describe how that area set up? You know, in that saddle with those two points uh, where we were fishing with the drop shot and the jig head worm. Well, we had. I think there was there was two areas. Uh, one of them, I think, the one of the first ones, I believe. I can't remember exactly the sequence, but one of them was actually a, a drain, and mm-hmm. off of a big major point, there was a little drain uh, where uh, two little hills come together, and there was a little shot of deep water that run up toward the bank, and the grass grew out on the edge of that drain. It made a perfect little funnel, and those fish were sitting right in the middle of that little drain. And then we had another area where there was actually a little saddle uh, in between two points, you know, a little high spot, or, or excuse me, a low spot, I guess you'd say, sure. between two, two shallow areas. And so, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was perfect structure, but, you know, Clarksville's got a ton of that in it. Well, it does, and it does. And, you know, I think that was the, the thing. It was, it was like if you had your, the, all of the bites seemed to be coming out of the same depth zone. It seemed like that, you know, those fish were really concentrated in in a, a certain area of the water column and you know we also had a little bit of grass and some wood and some some laydowns down there as well right that's correct that's correct you know that's one thing you know clarksville has a lot of hydrilla in it um although the hydrilla lines weren't as large because of the droughts you know but sure. still the fish were relating to that edge you know let's transition now into uh low water situations how does that change how you approach your fishing day when you're when you're going to a lake that 
you know, is in a, is in a drought situation. Well, you know, I know this year, this past year, past season, I think I saw a lot uh, in the lakes that I went to. You know, a lot of the things that I always like to do, you know, uh, spinnerbaits, topwaters, reaction-type lures, for some reason didn't work as well. And I think a lot of that's due to the added clarity of the water, you know, lack of current that made the fish more active in a lot of our reservoirs. And I think if you look out west at uh, Lake Mead, you know, I think they're going through a just a massive drought here over the last several years. I, I can't remember how low it is. Sure. But, you know, I talked to, I know a lot of those guys said, oh, yeah, used to, all you had to do was go to Mead with so a, a popar, and you could catch them, you know, in the summer. And I said, that doesn't work so good anymore. And, you know, and that's probably got a lot to do with the drought, right. you know, and, and, and structure being out of the water and things have just changed the habitat and the way the bass relate and the way they feed. And, and I think we saw that a lot this fall, a, a whole lot in places that we went to. Well, and, you know, I think you bring up a good point there because really low water is, is relative to the geographic area of which you're at. You know, here we're talking about, uh, obviously, Clarks Hill there uh, in Columbia County, Georgia, but yet, like you said, you know, 12 feet there compared to maybe being out at Lake Mead where it, it is 10 times that maybe, right. let's say, uh, you know, that's that's a huge difference. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, and I think... Um, you know, I think that's just kind of a little trend, a cycle we're going through now. Uh, I, you know, I think you have to you have to fish those conditions. Then you look at the north this year, and the north, it seems that they're having more of a colder winter this year and a lot more snowfall and rainfall. So, you know, those lakes could be, uh, you know, a little more full than normal sure. in rivers and higher water and colder water. And it, so things could transpire and be later, and, and, you know, it could change the scope of, of of what you know, they're looking at totally the opposite. Maybe in the north this season, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. Right, but, and a lot of those lakes are natural. That's right. A lot of them are natural. Uh, you know, so who knows how it's all going to play out? You know, you we're kind of on a wet, colder trend right now, and you know, it could end this week and could dry up and be dry for the rest of the year, like it did last year. You know, in the south, especially. You know, with low water though, it presents opportunity. I'm I'm just a firm believer that you know you kind of play with the hand that you're dealt. Can you talk about some of those opportunities that anglers have, uh, you know, when the water is low on, on maybe their favorite lake or a particular body of water and some of the lessons that can be learned? Well, you know, that's one thing I've learned a lot, even on my home lake over the years when the water's down. And, you know, I live on a lake, Kentucky Lake, that has a fall drawdown every year. And, you know, a lot of areas, I, you know, I ride around in the fall and just look at the cover and you can, you know, stump and brush piles and rock piles and things and points, how they run out, they kind of present themselves. You can see them with your own eyes rather than look at them with a depth finder when the water's low. And I think that's one thing when the water does get abnormally low on your body of water that you fish, I think you need to take the time to ride and look and take your GPS or take a video camera. I know a lot of people that video and uh, go out and look at those areas and come back and, you know, try to get yourself comfortable with it and fish them when, you know, the water may be 10 feet over it and that's... A lot of times you could catch fish off those pieces of cover when the water's high. You know, I know I've I, I found a lot of good areas by just riding around and looking during the fall. Well, and, and I think that's a great point because the other thing by, you know, taking the time to maybe use your GPS to, to place a waypoint to save that area to go back for future reference. Now, obviously, you know, where that waypoint is is, you know, you're going to be off the bank because if, if the structure that you're fishing is high and dry, so you're going to have to, I think that's where it comes into play with, like you had mentioned with the video camera. Also, you know, taking a notebook and just taking some notes to write down, you know, description and, and things along those lines so that when the water does come back up, 
you can go back to those areas. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, that's one thing people don't understand. Ten feet over an area a lot of times can look completely different. You know, it changes your whole terrain, even what you can see. And, and a lot of times you're a lot farther off the bank than what you think you are. So right. you, you kind of have to be prepared for that. Well, the interesting thing, you know, in our closing minute here, Terry, is that it, it was very easy to see on the areas that were holding fish uh, that we actually had success on of why those fish were there and then how they would move up to that, basically the shoreline that was exposed because they were very defined. You could see them with your own eyes. You weren't looking, like you said, at the graph. Yeah, you could look up on the bank and kind of tell where you were going to get a bite, you know, before you ever got up there and looked at it with your depth finder. Sure, sure. Well, Terry, unfortunately, we are out of time, but uh, I you know, really appreciate you being part of the edge. Uh, any closing thoughts or, or comments before we shut it down? Yeah, I would like if uh, anybody has any questions to go to the Bass Edge website and go to the Ask the Pros section. And, you know, if you got any questions, feel free to send them in. I'd love to answer any questions you have. Well, Terry, we just thank you so much for spending the day on the water with us, but also uh, taking time out of your schedule for today. And we wish you the best of luck in the upcoming season, and uh, congratulations on your last finish. Thank you. Thank you very much. What a great interview with Terry Bolton, Aaron. And, you know, he's right. Those low water conditions are really frustrating sometimes, but they can really produce some nice fish. They can, you know, and, and with that, uh, they can be frustrating because if, if it's a lake that you're familiar with, you know, areas of which you have caught those fish before, chances are those are probably going to be high and dry. Mm-hmm. But I thought he did a great job of pointing out that there's also opportunities that you can seize when the water is low. Yeah, how many people actually take the, the fortitude to make notes when the, the water conditions like that, take video and stuff, and then go back at, if it's in that drought condition, you know, the water pools that were at 12 feet or where it normally is at 20? You can go back, pop a DVD in, and you know where you're going to need to go fish. Yeah, and, and tremendous opportunity. You're right, Dan. Um, I, I bet there's, there's probably quite a few people, especially the locals that live around the lake, that take that opportunity because it's just right in their backyard. But if you're not doing that, again, cannot stress that the importance of doing that. That will just really, I think, elevate your fishing uh, to a whole new level. Yeah. You know, I think river conditions, like in tidal areas, mm-hmm. you're right. Local people, they live there 24-7, so they probably adapt more than what we do in the Midwest on that. Yeah, and, you know, just like he had brought up um, concerning out west, for instance, you know, let's say in the south, if we're looking at these these weather patterns that we've been in, sure, there's a drought that's been taking place. You know, the lake at Clarks Hill in particular uh, at the day that we were there, you know, was, say, 12 feet low. But if you live, you know, fishing Lake Mead, for instance, uh, it's relative to where you're at because they're used to lakes being down, you know, 50 or 60 feet. Likewise, if you're in the north, you know, with some of the natural lakes, maybe this year is going to be a little cooler. Uh, maybe they've had some, uh, you know, a little bit more snow, some runoff. You never know what that's going to hold, but I think you always have to look at what the condition is uh, relative to the area geographically of where you're fishing. Oh, absolutely. Well, just awesome good stuff. So thank you, Terry. That was really neat. Hey, we need to go and see what's going on the Inside Edge this week. But before we do that, we need to take another commercial. So we'll talk to you after this week Inside Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-B&W. 
best hitch. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, joining us on this week's Inside Edge is the president of the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association, and that is Troy Heckman. Troy, uh, thanks again for joining us here on The Edge. Not a problem, Aaron. We're sure appreciative, and we're glad to be here. You know, um, serving as the governing body of, of collegiate bass fishing, you guys certainly have a lot on the schedule in the upcoming months, don't you? Oh, we do. We do. Things get started pretty early this year. Uh, April 12th and 13th will mark uh, the Big Ten Championship, which will be here in uh, northern Indiana on Lake Max and Cucky. Uh, we're really excited about the event. Looks like we'll be bringing in uh, uh, over 90 anglers this year, so it'll be the largest field in the uh, the event's recent history. Uh, look, at, uh, we'll also be in June out in the Pennsylvania area at Sayers Reservoir for a Green Mountain Regional event, and that will be followed up uh, a week later out in Oklahoma on Eufaula for Heartland uh, Heartland Regional Open. Yeah, that's the Big 12 Championship, right? Uh, uh, yes, it Jim is. Jim Willoughby's putting on. So that, uh, yes, it is. A lot of great events coming up. So You know, one of the things, Troy, that, that has been, I think, really encouraging is, and I'm sure you, you probably could not have anticipated this when you started, is the impact that the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association has had just on collegiate angling in general. Well, you know, it's, it's just been really... Um, really amazing and you know satisfying both as uh obviously we're working hard at doing what we're doing and just seeing the the fruits of our labor and the success that our volunteers have had to uh, you know promote and to expand the sport has just been truly amazing uh, uh like i said when we first incorporated and started doing what we did there's uh roughly you know two dozen collegiate teams now uh at last count says we have over 116 recognized student fishing organizations out there and personally the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association has uh, provided 200 club development plans, and uh, I tell you, and I don't see it stopping. You know, just since January, we're working on our 44th. Just since uh, January 1st this year. Well, and um, it it just shows you, you know, the demand uh, and the need out there for this this type of program. And you know, with that said, uh, the great thing is that there's been some other organizations that have have really followed in the footsteps of the CBA and and started some different. Uh, type of programs, but still serving uh, the collegiate anglers. Oh, absolutely. There's, like I said, the, you know, there's, it's a tremendous time for our sports. It's a, it's a brush fire. There are um, other other organizations out there that's looking to get more active, actively involved on the collegiate side, and that's that's awesome for the student anglers. As um, you know, any anything we can do to get them more active and continue promoting the sport and developing the sport is just a, a great opportunity for the student anglers. And you know, you also have some exciting things coming out uh, through. Uh, I, I think a redesign and uh, some things along the website, the newsletter, uh, national ranking system. Can you can you talk just briefly on on some of those new developments? Oh, uh, sure, sure, be glad to. Yeah, we're working closely with our athlete advisory council, which is a, a group of student student anglers nationally that uh, we bounce ideas off of, and they give us uh, uh, some really good you know uh, you know critical feedback that we need. With that, you know, we're retooling our website to be more user friendly and more um, more of a uh, resource for you know clubs uh, uh, you know uh, meeting operations the sustainability of clubs you know some success tip type things you know on and off the water in the classroom uh, character development type things you know all all are important uh, aspects to be a, a valued citizen to whatever community you, you land in after after college um, 
working on a uh, newsletter, a collegiate-flavored newsletter with our friends at Bass Edge, and we're appreciative of that that opportunity as well. And complement our national ranking system, uh, we are just soon to release our regional uh, power rankings, which I think that's going to be a great, great uh, tool to help bring some recognition to some of the less traveled schools, just to, you know, help them on a regional basis to promote what they're doing and, uh, you know, just call, call some attention to uh, some, of, some of the smaller schools. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of great things going on, Troy. And, you know, one of the things that I would like to encourage is because with all of the, the many uh, avenues that you have opened up for collegiate anglers, there's also a tremendous opportunity for anglers, regardless of age, uh, gender, whatever, to get involved with the CBAA, because to run this type of an organization, it takes a tremendous amount of volunteers to be able to participate. And, you know, I would really like to throw out to our listeners to to get in touch with the CBAA and figure out how they can get plugged into the system and really make an impact, uh, you know, on our, our next generation of anglers. Actually, it's not even our next generation. It's our current generation of anglers. I mean, that is the real reality. So, you know, how can uh, individuals find out about the CBAA? Okay, well, I, I, I thank you for those kind words. And, uh, well, there's a couple different ways. Of, of course, uh, you can contact us off of our website, which is uh, www.collegiantbass.org. And we also have a, uh, a partner website through our friends there at Bass Edge have dedicated a Collegiate Bass Anglers Association page that will have uh, uh, some great resources and some valued information on the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association through uh, the Bass Edge website. Great info again, Troy, and, and so much appreciate uh, your efforts there in, in helping to grow the sport and, and really appreciate your time on the edge. And we'll look forward to... Uh, hearing from you again in the upcoming months and, and see what's new at the at the CBAA corner. Not a problem. We'll look forward to it. We know things aren't slowing down, and I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty to talk about here soon. Sounds great. Hey, thank you, Aaron. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. All right, Outdoors, Dan, Aaron, Martin, we are back, and what another nice Inside Edge segment. That's really becoming a popular feature, Aaron. I love that feature because, you know, now we have the flexibility to where we can bring in some uh, product information, you know, just like Troy from the Collegiate Bass Anglers Association has shared with us all the exciting things that's going on there, gave us ways to get involved, uh, even if we're not college age, but we can still get involved in the organization. So I, I really like that segment. Now, I understand that you've been inundated with emails lately as well. Yeah, we have, actually, and, uh, you know, would like to throw out just a, really a, a thanks to, um, you know, it just goes to show you when, you, when you put out there something that you want to ask for, uh, had a lot of people go to iTunes and uh, write some, some great comments, some great feedback, had uh, some tremendous, you know, we have those new segments now on uh, the pro tips uh, and ask the pro and a lot of great questions coming in. And matter of fact, Dan, we're going to we're actually going to answer one of those questions today. Really? You're yeah. going to actually do something today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so happy for you. I, I know, I know. But uh, so we got a we got a question, and is that from Jeff in California? That is that is the one from Jeff in California. As far as the tactics 
that uh, we suggest to catch those large females that you cannot see around the beds during spawning? You know, this is a great question, and it's often a scenario that uh, a lot of us have to deal with, even if maybe the day before, let's say, uh, if you were there, you know, you could see that visibly the water clarity was such to where you could see the fish. You never know when wind is going to come in or potentially rain, change those water conditions, or maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's a lake that is traditionally stained anyway, so that you know that it's spawning time, you know, from some of the other indicators that are out there. But how do you catch those fish? And, and I think uh, Jeff poses a great question. A couple of things that I like to look at is either a drop shot or a Carolina rig. You know, it, when you're fishing around those, those areas to where they're spawning and you know they are there, uh, you can throw that drop shot. I really like that drop shot for when, the, when a subtle really a subtle presentation is necessary. And you can throw that out, make an actual cast with a drop shot versus vertically fishing. Adjust your, the weight from, from your bait as far as the distance. If you have some vegetation, you can keep it right above to where it's just kind of hovering above the bed and just slowly drag that you know, back towards the boat. Again, a Carolina rig, another very popular. You know, tie on like a, a lizard or a finesse worm and just throw it out there, make a really long cast, and slowly drag that back, and you'll just feel them you know, snug up on it. Two other things to keep in mind is is a shaky head or a soft jerk bait such as like a fluke, you know, a weightless fluke. Uh, the shaky head, obviously, we've talked about that time and time again on here, but again, uh, just another deadly pattern for that. The fluke is, is a great idea for if maybe that the fish aren't really, really reacting to like a spinner bait or, you know, more of the reaction style baits. You can throw it out there, twitch it a couple times, acts like a dying bait fish, and uh, again, just another good idea uh, for trying to get those responses. So, great question from Jeff. Yeah, there you go. And we actually got a prize winner this week, Paul from Three Rivers, Michigan. Mm-hmm. He is going to receive a copy of the Psychological. Uh, <laughs> help me out there, Aaron. Will you? Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's a that's a good book, I guess. It's a very good book. Actually, it was just featured in BASS Times, the the magazine, a couple weeks ago, and uh, they did a whole write up. John Neparadny. Uh, did a write-up on Jay and uh, how he came to write that book, and that thing has been doing extremely well. And of course, those of you who are already familiar with Jay knows that uh, he can definitely add that extra mental edge to your fishing game. So he's going to get a copy of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing and a course, a bass edge decal. Absolutely. Is that one of them 10-foot ones? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the, we call it the body glove. You know? Well, there you go. I think that's neat. <laughs> hey, anyone that want to enter uh, for the uh, prizes and stuff, I understand that they need to re-enter again for the next drawing. Because did you lose some stuff? No, 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 no. Actually, what happens is uh, you can enter uh, every time that there's a giveaway. Just because you win once, does that does not throw you out of the contest? Oh, so, really? uh Each drawing, you know, re-enter in every time uh, that there's a drawing, and just go to the website under product giveaway. And uh, just follow the rules under that, and you're eligible for every drawing, even if you've already won from Bass Edge. So. Yeah, and there's some big prizes coming up. You're going to have reels from Arden and Keel Garden and some other great stuff, so you don't want to miss out on that, folks. And, hey, all you need to do is just go to ProStaff at BassEdge.com. That's ProStaff at BassEdge.com to send in an email question or just to enter. And we'll try and do some on the podcast. Most of them are going to be answered on the web and or the newsletter, so three different ways that you can get in tune with the Bass Edge community. And, hey, thanks for all the iTunes subscribers that are getting the podcast from iTunes. We want to appreciate all the high ratings. Thank you for doing that. Keep that coming. And also, if you're not signed up for the newsletter, you need to go to JustBassEdge.com, and you can do that absolutely free of charge. Is that right, Aaron? That is correct. Yep. All good stuff, and it doesn't cost you a thing except your time. 
Hey, next week we're going to have a good show. Cindy Hill on Kentucky Lake. And, you know, I grew up on Kentucky Lake, so I'm looking forward to that. It is going to be a great show. Lynch fishing. Boy, I tell you what, not only bass, largemouth, but that's a smally fishery that is <laughs> Boy, hard to beat. Boy, you got that right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I, you know, I know you don't like panfish at all, but oh, man, no. you can get some black crappies out of there. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be all good stuff. Aaron, anything else this week? No, I, I can't believe we're out of time, but, uh, you know, a lot of stuff coming up, so we'll, we'll definitely be out and about. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week here on The Edge. I'm Outdoors Dan. He's Aaron Martin. Until next week, we'll see you right here on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make The Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cooks Tackle Management Systems, Ardent Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.